Hello and welcome to the Carers Link Lowdown, our podcast for unpaid carers in Eastern Bartonshire. My name's Katie and my co-host today is Katrina. Hi, Katrina. Hello, Katie. And how are things going with you today? The sun is out and while it's cold, I'm so happy that there's some daylight coming through the window. So things are good. And although you can't see it, both Katrina and I have got our fleeces on today. It is definitely chilly. So, and we have a guest today. I'll tell you what the podcast is and then we'll introduce our guest. So this podcast, we are going to talk about the new fire and smoke alarm standards that the Scottish Government is introducing and which will become law in February 2022. So Katrina, why are we doing a podcast about fire alarms? Why, why are we talking to people about this? There is new legislation coming in and people might need to take action now um, to be ready for that. And we want to make sure that all carers are aware of it. And because sometimes if you're caring, you might need a bit of extra time to prepare. So this way you'll have the right information to be able to act. Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure I think definitely there's a lot of not necessarily misinformation, but bits of information. So hopefully by the end of the podcast, it will all be here. And if you you haven't got it all, then we'll give you information at the end as to where you can go to get more information. So, so Davey, welcome to you. So Davey, you are one of our Tech Buddy volunteers. We've done podcasts about Tech Buddies in the past, but you also are helping us specifically today because you are um, a qualified electrician. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So, uh, Davey, if we start off, you know, what, what is the new legislation that we're talking about? What's a, a brief description of what it's all about? Basically, because of uh, Grenfell and the, dis- the disaster that happened there, Scottish Government looked at protecting people uh, within Scotland, uh, making sure that you're, if a fire or if something's smoking within the home, that you're alerted as soon as possible. So at the moment... Uh, Rented accommodation should have a minimum standard of uh, smoke alarms and heater heat alarms within the premises already. So what they've done is changed it so that every every home in uh, Scotland has the same uh, coverage. So they also require you to have a carbon monoxide uh, alarm for any fuel burning fires and for any boilers. So that that is basically what's coming in in February. So the only difference is before it would have covered rented accommodation and now it's covering absolutely every uh, dwelling that's occupied. So this this legislation that's just in Scotland, it's not covering the rest of the UK, is that right? It's just just in Scotland, yes. Okay. And it's it's in response to to safety, I suppose, isn't it? That's why they're bringing it in, because they want to make sure that we don't have a, a Grenfell here. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of things were looked at with uh, with the Grenfell disaster, and the uh, Scottish government had to look at it. And one of the ways that they felt making people feel safer and be protected was to bring this legislation in. Uh, it was originally going to be last year, uh, but because of lockdown and COVID, uh, and the fact that they hadn't really got the information out there as quickly as they would have liked to, because of what was going on with the pandemic. They delayed it a year, so it's this February. It's this February coming in February twenty twenty-two. Is it something that everybody is going to need to do, or will some people already have? I mean, you've spoken about the the 
the rented accommodation that it should already be in there. But you know, uh, will some people who own their own homes will will they already have the fire alarms in there? Or yeah, yes, some people will will already be covered by uh, I think new houses in the past three years that uh, that have been built will possibly fall and be covered in this legislation. Uh, but anything older than that, what you might have is two smoke alarms in your hallway because that, that seemed to be sufficient at times and some people have heat alarms. In the local area where I am, Woodley, some of the houses are less than five years old and they don't comply to the full legislation, although they've got a heat detector in the kitchen and they've got two in the hall. The legislation requires that you have one in the most used room so it could be a living room or it could be a sitting room uh, as well. And all the alarms have to be interlinked. So some people will have smoke alarms in those rooms, but they might not necessarily be interlinked. They might be the uh, battery ones, or they might even be hardwired, but they're not linked to each other. So what I mean by that is if one alarm goes off, it sets the other alarms off. So if something happens in your kitchen and you're upstairs, the one in the hall should go off and alert you to the fact that there's a problem within the house. So how, how could people test that? What would, what could they do to find out if they've already got the interlinked bit of it? What you would need to do is go to one of the alarms and there's a test button. Usually usually it's in the centre. Sometimes it says test. Sometimes it's just right in the centre. There's a button that you push. You would push and hold that button until the alarm sounds. And then what it should do is set off the other alarms in the house. Ideally, you should maybe have two people in the house so that one can press it and one can be in the next room. Otherwise, you're up and down chairs <laughs> and rushing to from room to room. Uh, and it can be you're in the kitchen and you can hear the one in the hall, but you're not sure if one upstairs is going. Uh, but what you should do then is just go to the next alarm and, and do the same. But ideally, if you've got two people, one person can wander about and hear that they're all going off. Yeah, so that's something that, you know, if if people think that they already have the, the, the interlinked alarms, then they can they can check them out. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna pass to Katrina for some more questions. Some more specific questions then. You've already started mentioning this. Um, but how many alarms do people need under this new legislation? Okay. Um the number of alarms depends on each house, but basically you need a heat alarm for your kitchen area. Uh as most folk will find out when they're making toast or whatever, it's maybe set off the smoke alarm in the kitchen or uh, bacon's another uh, another uh, one that seems to set it off. So what they've decided is that to put a heat alarm in the kitchen. So you would have a heat alarm in the kitchen and you would go out, if you've got a hallway, you would have one in, one in your hallway. If you've got an upstairs and downstairs, you would have one at the top of the hall as a, a minimum uh, and then your most commonly used room, now that could be a dining room or a sitting room. So I'll go back over that. It's basically a heat in the kitchen and your escape route that you're covering. So that's your, usually your hallway. And your most commonly used room, whether that be a sitting room or a living room. And the idea behind that is if you're using that room a lot, if maybe people smoke or if you're sitting in the room and you leave the telly on or, or whatever, uh, you maybe leave any electronic device on, that's where uh, a fire might start more than a room that you hardly ever use. So that, that's the way that they've encompassed it. Over and above that, what you need is carbon monoxide detectors. 
And that's for any fuel burning fire, like a gas fire or a uh, like a coal or wood burning fire. Not not electric fires, uh, but fuel burning fires. Also, any room that has a boiler. Now, the only other time that you might need a carbon monoxide detector where you don't have a fire in it and you don't have a boiler in it is where any flue goes through. So if you have a fire, a gas fire on the ground floor and the flue goes up the chimney and you've got a bedroom above it, they recommend that you have one a carbon monoxide detector in that bedroom uh, as well. And what that, that carbon monoxide should be at sleeping height where your head is just at the same height as well. Okay, so there were a few different types in there, heat alarms and smoke alarms um, and the carbon monoxide detectors. Um, and I think there are different types of um, smoke alarms as well. So could you give us a rundown of them? You do have uh, optical alarms and ionisation alarms can be used for halls, corridors and escape routes. Okay, for living rooms, you can use optical and ionisation and for bedrooms, you can use optical and ionisation. For kitchens, you must use a heat detector. Now, you can't, I don't want to confuse the issue, but you can use a heat detector over and above in like so a living room or maybe a utility room where you've got a washing machine or uh, whatever. Now, in a living room, you would maybe use the heat detector where you have like a maybe a coal burning fire or a wood burning fire, which might produce a lot of smoke. So you would use a, maybe a heat detector in there if it was going to cause a nuisance. Uh, and that's why you'd maybe have a heat detector in that room as opposed to a smoke detector. And is that allowed under the legislation? It's just the alarm. It doesn't matter what time, type it is. It, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just the, the alarm that you would have uh, and I'm not one to confuse people by mentioning about heat alarms and, and smoke alarms, but that would that would be the only sort of situation that you would put a heat alarm in the living room would be if you had a coal burning or a wood burning fire that was maybe open. And if the wind blows, always, well, I'm old enough to have experienced it where it comes down the chimney and fills the room full of smoke. If you've got a smoke alarm in the room, it's going to get set off. Uh, so that's maybe where you would consider a heat alarm if that's something that happens quite a lot in your your house. And then another question on different types. I know there's battery alarms and hardwired alarms. And so could you maybe run through the differences between those for us? A hardwired alarm is basically where you are, it's hardwired, it's wired into the electricity in your house. So sometimes it's on the lighting circuit and what happens is that is what is powering your alarm. And the backup to that would be a battery. Uh, sometimes it's a replaceable battery. I'm sure people have had the point where batteries made that shrill beep beep noise. Uh, and no, I can't make that noise. Uh, but yeah, uh, kind of beep, 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 and it becomes annoying. It's like a, as though a wee bird stuck somewhere. Uh, and then you know to change the battery. So usually, nowadays, it's a green light that you see if you look up. On the, and that usually tells you that there is electricity going to it and the electricity is okay. Now, usually if there's a fault with it, there'll be a red light indicating that it's defaulted to battery power. It may even flash. So that means that you've not got power, electric going to it. So that's a hardwired system. Now, you can have a hardwired system that 
isn't connected to each other. They're, although they've got electricity going to it, it's just going to one alarm. So if you press the button in one alarm, only one alarm will go off. Now, the newer systems will have a wire that goes between each alarm. So you have the mains electricity, then it'll go to the next alarm and the next alarm. And if you press the button, there's an extra cable which goes between them and sets off a chain reaction between it all. So that would be your hardwired system. And if you're changing the battery with any of that, you should find out what switches it off in your electricity board. Now, it might be under the lights. It might have its own one that says smoke detector. And if you're not sure, just switch all the power off, uh, just to be careful. The newer systems, which are battery, and not to be confused with the old battery ones where you replace it with a PP3 battery. The newer ones, they have got lithium batteries in them. They're not, uh, they can't be replaced by yourself, the householder, or even electricians or whatnot. They're made in the factory. They're part of the system. And if you tried to replace it, you would just damage the equipment. So they're tamper-proof. Those ones you put up, and it's a radio signal that connects them. So before you put them up, you would lay them out, and you would tune them into each other. And it's a radio link. It's not Wi-Fi. So even if your Wi-Fi went down and something went wrong, they would speak to each other. It's not Bluetooth either, which some people get confused with. It's a radio link between the two uh, or the, the alarms. So you tune them into each other. And if yours goes off and your neighbour has got exactly the same system next door, it won't set theirs off unless you set them up at the same time by some... <laughs> stroke of luck or, or miss luck. <laughs> I think that's that's really helpful, actually, the the fact that it's it's not your Wi-Fi, because I know we have had people ask, you know, what happens if the Wi-Fi goes down? Will, it's, will they still uh, go off? So it's really good to know that it's nothing to do with Wi-Fi, it's nothing to do with Bluetooth. It will, it will carry on, um, whatever. There's just one other point, just with the alarms. We obviously touched on carbon monoxide alarms. Mm-hmm. Now, originally, when it came out, they suggested that they were all interlinked. So if something went wrong with your boiler and if it's carbon monoxide, all your alarms would go off. But what they found was that you would maybe get up, you didn't know what was actually had set it off. So if your carbon monoxide, if it was your boiler, ideally what you want to do is ventilate that area before anyone goes in to switch off the boiler or the gas fire in the living room. Whereas if it was a fire and you ventilated it, you'd be fueling, you'd be giving it oxygen and fueling a a smouldering fire or a fire. So what they, they suggest now is that they're not in, the carbon monoxide are standalone and they're not interlinked with the other alarms. So that if your alarms go off above you, you know that it's either a fire uh, or it's a, a smouldering fire, it's smoke, and it's not uh, carbon monoxide that set it off. And then at least that way you get out of the house as quickly as possible. You don't go and investigate. You get everybody out of the house. And then you obviously phone for assistance. If it's carbon monoxide and it's maybe your gas fire and it starts beeping and your compartments, what you do is make sure that there's plenty of oxygen getting in. When it's safe to do so, switch off the fire and then call someone out to, to look at it. So you can see the why you're wanting both separate uh, as such. And yeah. uh, they, they can just be battery operated. They don't need to be uh, connected into the mains. You can get them into the mains and you can have them interlinked. But I would suggest that you uh, 
have them separate and stand alone. Yeah, no, that's that's really good advice, actually, in, in, in terms of just because it's such a different way of dealing with the issue. Yeah, you ought to be making fires worse if, you, if you're by opening and ventilating. So if we think now about the hardwired ones, so these are the ones how, and you own your own home and you've got to get them put in. So I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, who can put them in? What do I need to find out? Uh, what questions do I need to ask before the person comes and fits them? So what, what would you suggest in, the, in that case? If you live in a flat and you've got a loft area above, then uh, you're the only person that's probably going to have the least amount of disturbance regarding it getting hardwired because all the, you've got to put cables in and have cables going from each alarm if it's going to be hardwired. Uh, years ago, you could take it off the lighting circuit and because the alarms didn't need to be linked, uh, that that was fine. But now there's got to be a cable between each. You can have hardwired alarms that are... So if you've got, say, three alarms at the moment and they're hardwired and they're not interlinked, you can buy alarms that can get the power off the, the, the stair and the interlink would be through the radio link with it but they are really expensive because you buy the unit, you have to buy a base and you have to buy a radio link. So your cost for that would, would actually go away, can go away up. You could be paying £80 for an alarm that would normally cost you about 15 for a hardwired system. Your radio link systems are usually between 22 and about £64, uh, just a ballpark figure for each alarm. So that shows you the, the kind of range and cost in the alarms. Uh, but once you go to the hardwired that's not interlinked, but you're going to radio link it, you're you're sitting maybe bumping away up to sometimes about £80 per alarm. Uh, so it can be quite expensive, even though you've got the, the wiring in place mm-hmm. for to keep it hardwired. And you, you may actually be cheaper just putting radio links in. So when you get them hardwired, there's, there's there has to be some unless you've got that loft space above above yeah. your flat. There's got to be some disturbance within the house. I take it. Yeah. yeah, you've got to get the cables from usually from the electricity board, wherever that is, up to your first alarm. So that might that would probably involve either lifting floorboards to get into the ceiling area, or you use trunking, which is a white plastic. And it doesn't look, it doesn't matter how good a job that anyone does because the alarms have got, should go into the centre of the room. So you will have a bit of plastic trunking going from either along the, the side and then out into this, roughly the centre centre of any room that you have. And I'm sure that most folk wouldn't want that uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in their houses if they can help it. So the only other way to do it is lifting floorboards from above and then trying to get the cables in that way. And it's an electrician that would to do this, is that? For hardwired, yes, it would need to be an electrician uh, that does it because you're you're putting new cables, you're putting a new system in, and uh, electrical system in, and only we need to test the cables before we connect them to the power to make sure that there's no damage to the cables and there's no... And also, if you're putting it in, if you're putting a new wiring circuit in, it needs to be covered by an RCD... Uh, and some people might still have the old systems, which are miniature circuit breakers. Uh, and it, but if you're putting the wire in, it would need to be covered by an RCD, and it, would need, it should be an electrician that does that. 
Right. And, and if you're looking to employ it, someone to do it, what kind of things should you be asking that person? What you can do is see if they're a member of any scheme, but that doesn't mean to say that they're, they're not a good electrician because uh, you need to pay to be members of these schemes. You can ask what their qualifications are. You can ask for their uh, what insurance they've got. You can ask uh, word of mouth is, is a good thing. If someone has had a good workman, but you actually maybe want to see within your group, within your peers, is there someone that they have had that they can use and trust in? Uh, that that's usually a, a good a good way of knowing because you can have somebody that's highly trained and maybe comes into your house and while still do the electrical work they might leave a mess or uh-huh. the, their prices might be a bit higher or uh, yeah they might not respect your property that, that's another part of it and that's the other thing as well isn't it always get more than one quote yeah I, yeah definitely I would recommend that you get three quotes. Uh, if it's hardwired, then yes, you are going to pay quite a lot of money because lifting floorboards, putting cables in, connecting it up is going to take a lot of manpower, probably going mm-hmm. to be a day's work. Whereas if you go in and fit four or five alarms that are radio linked, you're maybe an hour or two hours work uh, in someone's house. So it's not going to cost you that, that amount of money. Yeah, so that that's the other kind then, the the ones that are the sealed battery ones that yeah. so is there anything that, that people should be aware of when they're when they're if they decide that they want to go down that route rather than the hardwired, is there anything that people should be aware of when they're looking for those alarms? I always ask what type if it's not offered to you, but if someone comes into your house and said, I'll fit smoke and heat alarms for you, find out what make it is, what they're going to fit, get a quote off them, whether it be written, and ask them what make is getting fitted and then you can go and have a, a look because there's loads of different makes on the market uh, ideally you want a, a, a make that's well known so you're wanting something that conforms to British standards so it, it, the best of it is ask what system they're fitting ask what make they're fitting and uh, at least that way then you can go and have a, a look yourself to see ask what guarantee you're getting with it as well uh, what's the electrician or whoever's fitting it going to give you? Is it a year's warranty? Ask what warranty you're getting off the actual device because a lot of them give you manufacturers of five uh, five years and it'll be a 10-year battery life. And then that's, I suppose that's the other thing about the, the battery-operated ones is that you don't necessarily have to get someone to fit them, do you? You, you can put them up yourself if you feel capable. Yeah, yeah. You, they do come with instructions and they do recommend it's like... Uh, as near to the centre of any room as possible, and they'll say 30 centimetres away from any wall or from any light fitting, so you don't get interference from the, the light fitting. The only thing I would say is that whilst it might be in a hallway or in a room, that it suggests you put up one. I've been in some houses where they've got a beam down the middle of a, a room, and normally one alarm would, would sort that, would cover that whole room. But what you've got to remember is the smoke goes up, if it goes straight up and travels along, it would take a while for it to get possibly over that, you know, for the airspace to fill up and then filter over that beam and across. So you might not get the warning if the smoke alarm is on the other side of the beam. So some places will need two alarms, whereas the next door neighbour might only need one alarm for the same area. So sometimes having a look at it, you've got to look at airflow and where a fire might start and where it would flow to 
these are things that you need to so I realise, yeah, I put one up in my hall, I put one up in the living room and that will do it. It might not. Uh, so that that's the only thing I would say if you are doing it yourself to be aware of. The other one that I always suggest, uh, and on a few of the electrician forums and the uh, smoke and heat alarm forums that I've been on, wherever your electricity board, your, your fuse board, your, your main switchboard is, I would always recommend where possible to put either in the cupboard or just outside the cupboard where that is a smoke detector because that is where all the cables in your house come back to and if there is a loose connection there that can smoulder away and it can be it can smoulder away there for hours uh, so ideally you're wanting an alarm near that for the, the smoke to come out uh, and for it to catch it and a lot of electricity board boxes are below the stairs, which is your, one of your escape routes. So you're obviously wanting, as if that's your escape route and that area is going to be filled with smoke, you're wanting alerted as quickly as possible. I'm not one to alarm people here, and it doesn't happen that often, but it, it does happen uh, as time goes on with electricity boxes. If people have been doing their own work on them, they might not tighten them up as well as a, a qualified electrician would. That doesn't come under the legislation. Uh, if you get what I mean, it's just a, it's just an add-on that I personally would advise. Yeah, it's just about thinking. You know, the legislation's because you want to keep safe. So these are additional yeah. things that will help you keep even safer still. Yeah. Yes, definitely food for thought. Something I'm in private rented accommodation, so this doesn't affect me in the same way. I don't have to make the changes, but I do now have a list of things I might suggest to my landlord. Um, uh-huh. And just on that point, if anyone is in rented accommodation and if the landlord has been a bit sniffy with it, where you can go for assistance is Shelter Scotland. Uh, if you phone them up, they've got good advisors, great advisors, even if it's legal, they'll assist you and advise you and point you in the right direction. Uh, they're a good bunch of people as well. Uh, they do a lot of good work. So if you're, if you're not sure of anything, even if, even if it's to do with your rent or anything at all, they're good, but especially with this legislation, and they'll advise you how to go about it. Uh, because sometimes landlords, they mean well, but they might think the system they've got in your house suffices, and when you go and test it, it doesn't, and you might have to advise them that it's not up to standard as well. So if you've got your new alarms installed, you've made that decision between hardwired or the battery ones, um, do you need to get proof that the alarms have been installed afterwards? Right. We don't actually know what's going to happen with the legislation, how they're going to enforce it. What the Having spoken to some of the companies that uh, make the alarms and having spoken to other, uh, on other forums and whatnot, what we think might happen is the electricity, uh, not the electricity, the insurance companies will ask you do you have a, a suitable system in place? Now, uh, you don't need it, but what you'll find is a lot of electricians, if it's hardwired, will give you a certificate. If it's radio linked, you can get provided with a certificate which will tell you what type of system it is, what areas are covered, and what alarms are in place. So it would maybe have on it that it was a, a wireless system interlinked and it's whatever make it is, and you've got a heat in the kitchen, two smokes in the hall, one in the living room, a carbon monoxide with a boiler, a carbon monoxide with a gas fire, 
in a carbon monoxide standalone in the, the bedroom upstairs. And that it, the fact that it's been commissioned, uh, it, in other words, it's been tested and it, and it works. So you can be issued with a certificate and that would be your proof to say that I've got this system installed. What you should do, and I'm sure most people would do it, but there have been occasions where people have been scammed. They've paid the money. They've got the new detectors up. The person's pressed one or not pressed them. They've de distracted them and then they've left and they've found out that they've just stuck ordinary battery ones, uh, the old style up, and they're not interlinked. So before uh, you hand over any money, I would suggest that you get whoever's installed it, gets them to show you how to test it, get them to test it. And even if you just say, can you hang on a minute just to make sure, and if you're able, you test another one to make sure that they, they go off so that you know the system does work and they are interlinked before that person leaves the, the house. And anyone, that, uh, any good electrician, tradesman, whatever, uh, will totally understand why you're doing that. In fact, they should show you how to do it and show you that it's working. That is good to, good to know. The legislation doesn't uh, state that you need a certificate. Uh, if you don't get a certificate, then it's done, nobody's breaking any legislation here. But you should get a receipt, and even if you ask them to detail on the receipt what they've, what they've installed, then that might be enough proof for your insurance company. So the main concern is not going to be that someone's going to chap on your door and say, can I see your fire alarm certificate? It's that if in the unfortunate event that a fire did break out, you might not get an insurance payout if you didn't have the alarms installed. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think it'll be the same as uh, your insurance company will ask you, do you park in the street or park in your driveway at night time? And you say in the driveway, but sometimes you'll leave it out in the street. So if your car gets bumped in the street, your insurance company will say, well, you told us you park it in the driveway. So it might be that scenario uh, as such that you say, yes, I've got a system and it covers the, the legislation. I had a heat in the kitchen, I had this and this uh, in the hallway and I had a carbon monoxide detector there. Uh, because what the insurance companies will do is ask you, and if you've got proof, then you can obviously say, well, I've got the receipt here or I can send you this. And we've chatted a bit about the, the price of these alarms, the fact that the, the hardwired in particular could, could be very expensive. Um, so is there help to pay for alarms um, for people who might be in a position where they're struggling? As far as I know, uh, there, there isn't anything that, that's in place, I asked, uh, regarding care and repair. And I'm not sure if that's within our area that that's going to happen uh, my understanding is that the fire brigade will assist, but it will be only in exceptional circumstances. I think they basically, at the moment, they'll put battery ones in, but they're not interlinked. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago that I'd, I'm aware that they've been into someone, but they advised them that they would need to get a, a suitable system in place. So I'm not totally up to date with exactly what's happening uh, with, the, with that at the moment. I can give Kevin a bit more information that, that Cairn Repair and Eastern Bartonshire definitely aren't um, installing them, um, whereas in Western Bartonshire they are. So it's 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 a local thing. So, you know, if, if you if you if the person you care for lives outside Eastern Bartonshire, then 
care and repair may be able to help, but if they live or you, for you, if you live or they live in Eastern Berkshire, then care and repair can't help with any financial um, things. And certainly, yes, the fire brigade is very, very exceptional. Um, but what we will do is we'll put in the in the show notes, we'll put the the telephone number and the web address for the fire service. So they can't help you in, in terms of advising, you know, what kind you should have or what alarms work or anything like that. So don't call them about that. But if you genuinely think, you know, if, if you are in very exceptional circumstances, then you can always ask um, and I'm sure they'll answer you. So the last the last thing we've t- talked very briefly about scams in terms of um, putting things, you know, people not putting the correct systems in as well. But um, as as with all things that are new and where there's pressure on people to do things, that's, there's, there's going to be the telephone scams coming out as well. So have you have you heard anything of, about, you know, what kind of possibilities there are in terms of that at all, Davey? Not with with regards to uh, telephone scams. I mean, I think we've basically covered any any points that anyone could uh, scam you where they, they would maybe just put a battery one up and it's not interlinked. Uh, the telephone ones could be that that will, uh, if you contact us, we'll you know install a system or whatnot. And if you give us your bank details or whatever, it might just be the usual scams. As we've pointed out, there doesn't seem to be any support out there for anyone that can't afford it. Uh, obviously, if you are in that situation where you might need help with it, uh, the only thing I can suggest is you go to Citizens Advice Bureau and maybe seek their advice uh, in relation to any help uh, who knows, um, there might be grants for it, but I would certainly not accept any offers of help putting it through a phone call or a text message because uh, the, any of the, any of the go- governments or any of the organisations that they would give grants to wouldn't contact you in that way. And if someone does offer you, just take a note of the details, don't give them any of your details, and then look up the government websites or go to the Citizens Advice Bureau uh, mm-hmm. because they'll be aware Citizens Advice are aware of any uh, assistance that anyone would get, or if any grants come out, they'll be made aware of any grants or assistance that would come out as well. Yeah, I mean, it may be that it's not a grant directly in relation to to the fire alarms, but it may be that you're not claiming some benefit or something that you're entitled yeah. to, and, and that's certainly where CAB could, could come in handy. And yeah. um, you mentioned the Scottish Government in terms of where to go for more information. Um, and we'll put the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service number um, in the show notes. Is there anywhere one else that we could think of that might be able to give us more information about this? I, I would I would just say to stick to the two of those and, and go directly to their sites. And if anyone is worried that you might have given money or um, your personal details to someone and you're worried they might not be legitimate, then make sure that you contact um, Police Scotland on their non-emergency line. Um, Their bogus crimes unit are always happy to chat through these things. So if you're worried, um, make sure you speak to someone. Um, And it might be that even if it's not something you've been taken in by, it could protect someone else if if you let them know that. Yeah, uh, definitely good advice there. I'm also on the uh, working body for scams and uh, sit with Scottish Government and Trading Standards and, and other organisations and we, we, that's one of the things that we, we look at. 
and that's one of the main things. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel that you're the only person uh, that it's happened to, and you may protect others uh, as well. So feed the information in, because if you feed the information in, that scam's going about. Organisations like here can put it out to others to say, be aware if you get this phone call, and you might protect not just one person, you might actually protect several hundred people. Well, I think we've had a lot of information there. So thank you very much, Dave. That's it's it's really important, I think, that people understand what their options are, how to get the best for themselves. Um, and also, I think that this is about safety. It's, it's not just the Scottish government coming in and saying, and it might feel, you know, we've got to get it done by the end of February 22. So it might feel that we're being pushed to do something. But there is a reason for, for it all being done. I think that's probably the take home message that everybody will be safer at the end of this. There's another, there's another part to it as well, which has just sprung to mind there when you said about safety. What I've found is that young children struggle to hear their alarms when they're sleeping, which is, uh, which is another reason that they've put it so that it's more around the house, obviously for adults. So whilst adults might be slightly hard of hearing, uh, if you put the alarms around the house uh, so that they can hear it and you're aware whether you're in different you know, if you're in upstairs, you hear it from downstairs and whatnot. It's to do, I'm sure it's, there's some, some acoustic reason for it. Then, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, right, so thank you very much, David. Thanks, Katrina, for joining me today. Um, we're coming to the end. So uh, I, what I would say as well, if you do have any questions about this, just get them into Carers Link and um, we'll see if we can find an answer for you. I'm not promising everything, but but we'll do our best to, to help and- you. And certainly if you've got any questions at all to do with that, please get in touch with me yourselves and, and I'll yeah. help you out any way I can. Thank you very much. Thank you. So there you go. If you contact us, we'll contact Dave and we'll get you the answer. So thank you very much, everyone. Um, our next podcast is likely to be, unless something pops up in the short in, in the short time, it's going to be an office banter one. This is one of our fans one. It'll be our Christmas office banter one. So you can look forward to that coming out. Um, but for today, that's everything. So thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.